what the procedure looks like. Um, all right. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Titus chapter 1? Titus chapter 1. If you're using one of the Story Church Bibles, um, the Red Bible, Titus chapter 1 is on page 579. 579. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then I'll introduce our sermon. We're looking at Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. This is a letter from Paul to Titus. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your abiding word uh, in which we find your will and in which we find the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray as... Um, as I look at this text and open my mouth to speak about it, Lord, would you send your spirit into our hearts that we might um, see your goodness more clearly um, and the hope that we have in Christ more fully. In his name we pray, amen. Um, I want to remind you, we, are, uh, we don't usually talk insider baseball talk uh, during the sermon. Uh, it, not baseball, but like we're... We're talking about something that really pertains to what we're going on right now at Story Church. And so, you know, if, if, if you are watching online or listening to the podcast later and you aren't a member of Story Church, like I apologize, we are talking about specific things we're dealing with at Story Church right now, which is elder and deacon nominations. Um, and I want to reiterate, if, if there is a question that you have about this process or about this text or about elders or deacons, reach out to me, and um, there's so much to talk about, and not as, I don't have enough time to spend and to devote multiple Sundays to talk about everything that has to do with this. There's plenty to talk about. So if there are questions, please uh, reach out and ask. Um, this book uh, is a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to Titus. 
And Titus was a traveling companion of Paul. So as Paul would go around and preach the gospel in new communities and uh, establish churches in new cities, well, Paul would keep on going to new and new territories. And oftentimes he would leave uh, people like Timothy or Titus behind to run the church, to pastor the church after Paul left. And that, that's what happened on the island of Crete. So Paul went to Crete with Titus, and they launched a church there. Paul went on to another part of the ancient world, but Titus remained on Crete to oversee the church. And the ministry grew. Uh, it seems like churches began spreading up all over the island. And Paul has gotten word of this. And so he's writing this letter to encourage T Titus in his ministry. And the chief kind of theme of this whole letter that Paul writes to Titus is that healthy leaders are crucial and necessary for the growth of the church. And that's, that's really the theme of this whole letter, that, that central to the future of Christ's church in Crete is the quality and character of the pastoral leadership that Titus is going to set up. So this whole book is instructions for Titus to how to pass on the leadership of the churches on the island of Crete. That, that's the whole point. Healthy leaders help the church. That's, that's kind of my main phrase for the sermon. Healthy leaders help the church. And we're going to see in this introduction three ways in which healthy leaders help the church. Um, the first one is this. Healthy leaders help the church by bearing the burdens of ministry together. Let's look at verse 5. In verse 5, Paul writes this to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That's Paul's instructions to Titus about what to do when he's gone, appoint elders in every town. Paul had planted the church, like I said. He'd moved on to another city. He left the island of Crete in the hands of Titus. Now the church was growing. He needs healthy leaders. That's Paul's instructions. Titus could not do this alone. Uh, I mean, if you read the whole book, the needs of ministry that Titus is facing are many. If you read the whole book, you'll see that Titus has to refute opposition to the gospel, that there are people in the church and outside of the church who are opposed to the gospel of Jesus, that Titus has to teach and train households towards faithfulness, teaching husbands to love their wives, wives to love their husbands, parents how to raise up children, children how to obey their parents. Titus has to encourage faithfulness outside of the home, in the marketplace, in the workplace, and within the communities, uh, that he needs to provide teaching about the hope that we have in Christ for eternal life, especially to those who are struggling to take hold of that and believe it. He has to instruct what faithfulness looks like and what does it mean to know the depths of God's love for these people that, as Paul says, accords with godliness. Like The needs of ministry for Titus are they're not decreasing, they're increasing as the church grows, and Titus can't do it alone. He has to add new 
elders to the church. And the needs of Crete in the first century are the same needs today. I mean, in, within this own church, the needs of ministry are the same. We need to protect the truth of the gospel. I mean, I, I'm on Instagram. I flip through reels and every once in a while, it'll be someone teaching what they think is from the Bible. We need to protect what is the truth of the Bible versus what is not the truth of the Bible. We need to teach what does it look like to be faithful as households, as husbands and wives, raising children. What does it look like to be faithful? We need to encourage one another about the hope that we have in Christ so that when you come here on Sundays after a busy week and you're uh, despairing because of sin or you're burdened by the stress of life, you're filled with anxiety and worry, we need to remind one another what the hope is that we have in Christ. We need to teach one another to know God's love. The needs of ministry continue. And so Paul says to Titus, Point elders in every one of those cities. The needs of ministry never cease. They only increase. It was too much for Titus to handle on his own. This wasn't a matter of Titus's weaknesses in ministry. It was a matter of his limitations. We, we know that this is the pattern of Scripture. Exodus 18, we remember that Moses, the leader of God's people in the wilderness, became overburdened by the needs of ministry. He couldn't do it by himself. And in Exodus 18, we learn that it was his father-in-law, Jethro, that encouraged him and taught him, all right, appoint other elders among the people to work with you so that they can share the burden of ministry with you. And that's exactly what he did. Paul is instructing Titus to find additional help to do ministry, to appoint elders in each of the churches. And it's instructive that we, when we look at this phrase, that we see that Paul's instruction is not to appoint an elder at each of the churches, but to appoint elders, plural. It's intentionally plural here. In fact, in every instance in which we see the New Testament church appointing elders in churches, it is always plural. It is never one person in charge of the church. It is always establishing a team of elders to bear the burdens of ministry together. And in the PCA, we follow that example. We, we follow that instruction to have a plurality of elders serving on the session over a church. I said in my email this week that my recommendation, my encouragement, my hope is that as we go through this process, that we would at the end of it appoint and ordain two or three elders to serve alongside me that we would have a plurality, a team of elders. Paul's encouragement here is that healthy leaders bear the burden of ministry together, and that helps the church. There's, I want to briefly say four reasons why I think a plurality of elders is good for the sake of the church, um, that it's not just a one-man show. The first is that there's leadership accountability. Uh, that it's not just one person making all the decisions, and it's not just one person that everyone looks to, and not just one person that's setting the direction of the church, but that there's a system of checks and balances, that, that the leadership is shared amongst a group of people, so that if the congregation is concerned, well, I don't think that we should be doing that, that seems unbiblical, or if someone in the congregation says, 
I think that that leadership choice or that style is uh, hurting us as a church. That there are other people in that group to which you can voice that complaint to, that you can raise that concern with. That it's not one person at the top that's untouchable, but that there's a group of people to hold one another and the church accountable for leadership. This is good for the church, that there is a system of checks and balances to protect you. Uh, Secondly, having a team of elders is good for pastoral shepherding. So that when, you know, I, I love being able to sit with you across the dinner table, across coffee, and listen to your story, listen to what's going on. I love to be able to pray with you and offer advice with you. And I can't wait to include my other two elders or whatever in that process. I I want them to be part of this pastoral shepherding because they will provide insights that I don't have. They will provide advice and wisdom from their own life experiences that I don't have. We're going to share the pastoral shepherding responsibilities. Third, uh, having a plurality of elders protects our theological fidelity. So not only does a group of elders protect leadership abuse from happening, it also protects the theological fidelity of the church. So it's not just one elder saying, well, I think that the Bible says this now, and so we as a church are going to believe that. But there's, there's an accountability where we keep one another in check and we ask questions, hey, is that actually a biblical way to do this? Is that actually what Scripture is saying? And in the PCA, we can also rely on our confession. That, that is a good guidance and uh, fence for a theological belief. So plurality of elders provides theological fidelity. Finally, and, and this is perhaps the most practical, uh, it provides strategic planning. So brainstorming and hearing ideas from people that aren't just my own head is going to help us as a church move forward. You know, I think I am aware of some of the needs of the church, but other people are more aware of other needs. And so having that collaboration to be able to set the trajectory of where do we need to go as a church, it will be good. So strategic planning. All right. Healthy leaders help the church by bearing the burdens of ministry together. That's the first thing we see here in this passage. Secondly, we see that healthy leaders help the church by being examples of godliness in all of life. So it's not clear in this passage, but we know elsewhere, like in 1 Peter, when Peter writes to fellow elders and reminds them that you are under shepherds of the great shepherd. You are under shepherds of the good shepherd, which means that elders, although they're pastors and leaders, are first and foremost sheep themselves following the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And what that sheep does is he encourages the other sheep to go with him to Jesus. Um, It's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that he wants the people to imitate him as he imitates Christ. So one of the responsibilities of the elder is to point one another to Jesus by their own godliness, to set an example of what faithfulness looks like. So that's what Paul does here, reminds Titus of the important work that elders have of being an example of godliness. And so he lists out this list of character qualifications for those men who are supposed to be examples. It's not an exhaustive list. This is more like 
Paul reminding Titus of the crucial, perhaps most important traits of a leader. But from this list, we can learn a few things about what is required of an elder. First, I want you to see that in this list, Paul does not have any competency listed. Like, there's no skill involved in this list. I mean, elsewhere, he does talk about that. But looking at this list, competency or skill is not the most important thing. It's character. Character is most important. Uh, Organizational skill certainly has its place in the building up of God's church. But virtues that conform to the nature of God take a higher priority. Let me say that again. Organizational skills, there is a place for that in the building up of the kingdom of God. But of more importance than that is character and virtue that aligns with the nature and character of God. In other words, Paul is saying what makes someone a healthy leader in the church is not their success stories, it's not their track record of ministry, it's not their numbers or ability to hold the attention of crowds. What makes someone a healthy leader for Christ's church, according to Paul, is the development of virtues that conform to the nature of God. So as we're considering who might be good elders and deacons, we need to remember that of top priority is character. It's not who do I like the most. It's not who's the most popular. It's not uh, who's the best teacher. It is who is embodying the character of Christ. And who does that well? Who points me to Jesus with their lives? That, that's the first thing. Second thing in this list we need to see is that there is a relationship here between leadership in the household and leadership in the household of God. I mean, Paul says that explicitly in verses 6 and 7. When elders need to be the husband of one wife and have children who are faithful, why? Because these elders are stewards of the household of God. That word steward means the manager of the home. In other words, Paul is saying, or he's asking rhetorically, how can a man be a good leader in the house of God if they're not a good leader in their own home? I like how one uh, author put, uh, put it this way in talking about a husband and wife. He says, Paul is insisting that elder candidates be men whose relationship with God is such that his commitment to his wife reflects the love and fidelity that the law requires and that grace enables. If a candidate shows signs of loving his wife like Christ loved the church, well, that is probably what Paul wants Titus to be on the lookout for. So when we consider who would be good candidates for an elder in the church, part of the way that we look at that is, are they loving their spouses well? Are they loving their kids well? I mean, being able to manage the household and lead the household indicates their ability to manage and lead the church. Uh, Third, I want you to see in this list of qualifications that these are the things that are the result of the Spirit of God producing the fruit of godliness in them. Um, Paul lists out a, a list of five red flags, you know, things to be on the lookout for, warnings against potential elders, 
He says that they must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkards, violent, or greedy. And he compares that with six virtues that should be cultivated. Hospitality, being the lovers of all things that are good, self-controlled, upright, and holy, disciplined. And so the last of these words, disciplined, it's actually the word that Paul uses in Galatians 5 when talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the character that's developed within the life of a believer. Uh, he, he says it's self-control, disciplined life. This is the work of the Spirit within us. That the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are Spirit-cultivated products in our life. Uh, and that is, that is who we should be looking for in, in this role. I like to think it's like, if you think of like a farmer who sows seed at the beginning of the season and then later in the season comes back to harvest the fruit of his labors. The Spirit is cultivating these things in the lives of believers, and elder nominations, elder candidates is, is kind of, we're reaping the, the, the harvest of the Spirit's work in our lives. So these things are things that the Spirit produces within us. Uh, lastly in this list, I want you to see that, and I mentioned before, the qualifications are high. For this position. But we should not be looking for perfection. We should be looking rather for the righteousness of Christ. Twice in this list, Paul says that these candidates should be above reproach. That's what our text says. Uh, other translations or versions, you might find the word blameless. Is, is Paul saying, look for someone who's blameless? Well, not perfect. I think what Paul is saying is that, no, not, not that these candidates need to be without sin. That would be impossible. It would go against everything that's underlying the truth of Scripture, that none of us are perfect. We've all sinned, each one of us. We've all fallen short of the perfect glory of God. What Paul is saying is that we are to be above reproach, blameless. What does he mean? It means that these are men who have trusted in Christ Jesus and have received from him, his perfect righteousness imputed onto them so that they stand before the judge of the universe, God himself, blameless. Paul is saying, look for men who have received and rested upon the gospel and are being transformed by it in all of their lives. These men, having taken hold of Christ and his righteousness, righteousness they are in God's sight, blameless. And their lives are being transformed as a result of that reality. Healthy leaders help the church, not by being perfect, but by taking hold of the righteousness of Christ and pointing other people to it. All right, third, finally, we see in this passage that healthy leaders help the church by bringing the word of God to the people of God. You see that in verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. They must hold fast to the trustworthy word. Holding fast is this fierce attachment. I mean, kind of like white-knuckled attachment. 
you know, we had those storms roll through last week, and it uh, made me think of the movie Twister. You know, the one scene that they're running from the tornado, and they go into, like, the farm shed, and there's all these tools and saws, and it's terrifying. But then they find these, like, leather straps, and they strap themselves to a post that's in the ground. And they hold on for dear life as the whole shed gets blown away and this tornado goes on top of them. They're holding fast. And that's what Titus needs to do. Find men who are holding fast to the truth of God's word, whose life is secured by it, who is, they're, they're not tossed to and fro by any kind of doctrine that they hear about or any idea that they read about. No, they hold fast to the truth of God's word. They hold fast to the trustworthy word. That's how Paul puts it, that this word is trustworthy, that you can rely upon it. Three or four other times in Paul's letters to Titus and to Timothy, the the other pastor who's setting up elders at this time, There's three or four other times where Paul says, this is the trustworthy word. Listen to what he says. This is trustworthy. Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the trustworthy word. He says, this is trustworthy. Our hope is set on the living God who is the savior of all people. That is something you can rely upon. He says, this is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. You can trust that truth. Paul says, you need to find men who are holding fast to this trustworthy word. It's it's the word that does it. Now, I think that this is so key in when we think about leaders in the church. That the, the church is healthy and vital, not because you have great, strong leaders with charismatic abilities and organizational skills, and they know leadership management. That leaders in the church hold fast to the word of God. And that is what makes a church vital and healthy. It is the word that does that work. You know, we looked last week at Ephesians 4. We looked about how the elders of the church are the ones, the pastors, the teachers, they are there to equip the saints to do the work. And how they do that, I said, is by the ministry of the word. And Paul gives us the two ministries of the word here, the second half of verse 9, that, the, that they are to use the word to instruct the people and to rebuke those who contradict it. That's the ministry of the word, to teach doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. You know, in 2 Timothy 3, 16, talking about this word, Paul says that the word of God is, let me find it, that all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training. Why? So that every man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Pastors and teachers use the very word of God, the trustworthy word, to equip the men and women of the church for every good word. Elder candidates must hold fast to the word of God because it is the word of God that accomplishes this ministry in the church. And chiefly, we do this by pointing the people to the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ himself.
That's how Titus, that's how Paul begins his letter to Titus. He says, let me remind you in verse 2 of the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, whose word is trustworthy, he promised before even the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word. This plan of, of our eternal hope and salvation that was planned by God from the beginning of time at the proper time became flesh, manifested in the word, the very word of God. That's what John chapter 1 teaches us. The word is Christ, and healthy leaders help the church by pointing people to Christ. This is the trustworthy message about a trustworthy person. Jesus Christ. That's our ministry. And so as you consider who might we nominate as an elder, re remember that the health and vitality of the church is largely dependent upon healthy leaders helping the church. Healthy leaders help the church because they bear the burden together. Healthy leaders help the church because they exist as an example of godliness in all of their life. And healthy leaders help the church by bringing the people of God to the very word of God, Christ himself, who is the one who saves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you not only that it teaches us and leads us in godliness, but that your word became flesh, dwelt among us. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, who is our leader, the head of the church, who laid down his life for us. Uh, we thank you that in him, not only do we have the forgiveness of our sins, but we have his own righteousness imputed upon us, so we now stand before you blameless. Father, we pray, Spirit, uh, send your Spirit, work within us, conform us into the image of Christ. Um, lead us, direct us in this season of a church, uh, as the church, as we engage this process together. Uh, we seek your guidance uh, in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.